0: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health advance careers and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance. And I call my mission, the billion person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living. And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's great to be with you and you are in for a crazy conversation today. I'm not gonna introduce it by reading Chris's biography, mainly because I want you to go through this interview and experience the amazement that I had in conducting this conversation. Suffice it to say that Chris Norton is one of the most impressive people I've ever spoken to. Uh, His story is amazing. His mindset is incredible. And what he's done with his life, despite tremendous obstacles, is Absolutely incredible. You will also hear parallels between Chris's life and mine at a hard time getting through the first half of this interview. I was literally going through a full vasovagal response, sweating, nauseous, um, as it brought back memories of, um, some things that I went through when I was younger. So I think you're going to enjoy this. It's pretty mind blowing. Chris is incredible. And so, uh, I will end the suspense there. Let's dive right into this conversation with the incredible and amazing Chris Norton. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. So first of all, as I just said offline before we started, um, wow, what a story. I'm so impressed. I'm so honored. Uh, like, I just can't believe I got the chance to actually talk to you in person. This is This is really wild. So thank you for taking the time.
1: Of course, it's an honor to be on your show and to be able to you know share my story, give some hope.
0: Yeah, super cool. So let's start at the beginning. Take me back to football and how you got involved in football and, and that, that initial passion in your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, small town Iowa, uh, I loved football. Love watching football. Uh, rooted for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I was my college team. My parents met and graduated from there and just had a passion for it. It was a great way great escape to just let out a lot of like frustration and anger like it's a sport where the more physical you are the better you are and i love that like i'm i'm not naturally like an aggressive or a mean person but on the football field you can be and i just uh, was able to kind of let loose and i really enjoyed that aspect and just um padding up
0: yeah very cool um i was a swimmer growing up and then played water polo and there was a few moments when i was playing water polo it's a pretty physical game where you're like wow you discover new parts of yourself that you didn't know mm-hmm. existed that um yeah certainly interesting
1: yeah no exactly
0: so digging right into this story um you're playing football one day and your life changes can you take me through what happened
1: yeah so on october 16th 2010 i'm playing college football at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, uh, just a small Division III school, and the sixth game of the season. You know, I'm a freshman. I, I worked my way up to all the different special teams units, and so in the third quarter we scored a touchdown. Uh, then it's our turn to kick the ball off to the other team. I'm on the kickoff team, and so I line up on the far right outside. Um, you know, my job is to contain the outside, and not let the ball carrier. Uh, get down the lane, and um, so I'm sprinting down the field. I see the opening of I know where the ball carrier is going to run through, and I'm going to stop him. He's trying to score a touchdown. I'm going to drive my shoulder through his legs, and hopefully he'll drop the ball, he'll fumble the ball. Well, I see that opening, and I hit him at full speed, but I mistimed my jump. Instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier and colliding with him with my shoulder, my head hits him head-on to his legs, in an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. It felt like someone just turned the power off to my body. No matter how hard I try to push off the ground, nothing was working. And I was just super confused. I just like, okay, this is weird. Um, I just give it a few minutes and I'll get right up off the field. But uh, little did I know, I just suffered a severe spinal cord injury and it would take me years and years before I'd ever be able to staying up again and I would never stay in the same way.
0: Oh my God. Um, and as again, as you, as you and I talked about before, uh, I broke my neck when I was 15 swimming. And so although I had no neurological deficits, I can identify with that moment where you're where you hit and everything you know, something has happened, but it's, it's a confusing moment and it's weird. It's a, it's a, it obviously it's a strange experience for someone to go through that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so naive to a spinal cord injury or breaking your neck. Like I, I had no idea that was even on, that was even on the table for me. So I was just thinking that this is just a, like a stinger, like a temporary um, pinched nerve, you know, something very minor is happening and that I'll be able to get right up off that field and walk off to the sideline. I, I just never in a million years thought something that severe could ever happen to me. You know, I thought bad things happened to people far away, people that you read about in the newspaper, that you watch on television, but there's no way something bad can happen to, to me. My first 18 years of life, I've, been, I've gone through it without any major hiccups. So um, I'm just thinking it will just continue
0: like that. And when did that realization hit you that something was wrong?
1: It came when the the paramedics came over to check on me, which I I knew was was pretty standard practice with what was going on. But I still believed, you know, everything was going to be fine. But when they called in for a helicopter, that's when I knew, like, holy cow, like. This is my life. This is really happening. And At that point, I just closed my eyes to block out what was happening. Like I didn't want to accept the reality of what was unfolding before me. So I thought the only thing I could do was just close my eyes and try not to accept it um, was my last defense.
0: Um, so they load you into the helicopter and fly you to the hospital. Um I got loaded into a Learjet and flown to Toronto. Like I'm re, I'm reliving this entire thing as we're as we're speaking here. And mm-hmm. um, frankly, I'm frankly, I'm actually having like a, a vasovagal response. I'm actually sweating as we're as we're talking about this. Um, and then you arrive at the hospital. And then what happens?
1: Well, it's like a scene that you see like on TV. They're gonna move to, like an ER uh, where they like they're rushing you through the hallways. So there's a bunch of uh, medical personnel that kind of are surrounding the gurney, and then they you know start doing a bunch of checks and scans. One of the things they had to do was to realign my neck. So that I went through traction where they literally, they break your neck back into place, which I had to be awake for that. And that was excruciating as they had to like screw into the side of your head. Um, and just the pain of the screws going to my head was excruciating. And then uh, MRI machine, uh, where they just like a loud jackhammer and you have to lay there completely still, which was really easy for me at the time. And um, and then eventually surgery, uh, emergency surgery. They had to fuse my neck, my C3, C4 vertebrae uh, back together. And that was a, a long surgery.
0: Yeah. So I had C3, C4 uh, surgery as well. And I had those bolts in the side of my head. So I'm feeling, you know, everything that you're talking about. And you then go through recovery and your mindset at some point must have changed. And I'd love to know about that next phase because there's two trajectories you can go on when something like this happens mentally, up or down, and somehow you managed to get on an upwards trajectory. Can you tell me about how the, the intervening three years that led to the moment we were, when you were able to walk across the stage and and graduate from college?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say you know, definitely probably the lowest moment came after surgery when the surgeon said I had a 3% chance of ever regaining any feeling or movement back below the neck. And I was just stunned. I just think, you know, no way, not me. Like, how can this be my life? And, you know, I don't know what it was. But there's just something inside me that just rejected it. I was just like no way. Like this
0: is not- Dude, okay, I got to interrupt you because that's crazy because my surgeon looked at me right after surgery and she said you will never swim again. And inside my mind, I said I rejected it instantaneously. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Oh my god, this is crazy. Okay, keep going. Sorry to interrupt. No. This is unbelievable. No,
1: I'm glad um you share that because like it's something that I know ne- I can't explain and I would have never if I, I would have imagined this happening to me before it happened, I would have thought, you know, I would have just quit and give up. Like there's no way I would ever have that kind of resiliency. But in that moment, like I felt like I had no other choice. Um I I also compare it to the fact that like, you know, if you if you can't swim and you're thrown into a pool, I mean you're gonna thrash, you're gonna do whatever you can and fight uh to to fight for air. And I kind of felt that same way. It was kind of like a desperation mode of like, I gotta do something. Like I gotta fight. I c I can't accept this. I can't just sink. Uh, and so I just went to work and I did the only thing I could do the very first day. And that was to nod my head yes and no. And I just nodded my head yes and no for hours. I, I looked like a giant bobblehead just bouncing my head around. And I just kept working and grinding and just just understanding that my future will take care of itself when I take care of today. And so just focusing on maximizing every single opportunity each and every day and i can remember back like in the middle of the night my dad he would sleep in a cot next to me and i'm up I, it, sleeping at night was horrible for me i just all these fears and insecurities and just wondering about the future just crept in and i was just so scared and i, I woke my dad up and I'm like, dad you know i gotta do all the little things right I, I gotta work hard every single day i gotta do more than just my scheduled therapy hours like i need to create a list of everything I can do on my own and with you outside of my scheduled training time. Like, can you make this list? And he's like, you know, you're right. Like we got to be doing all the little things. Like that's what's going to separate anyone from being good to great. But he's like, Hey, can you do me a favor? Um, you know, it's 3am. Can we get started at 7am? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Yeah. That, that works. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was just kind of that mentality of just let, let's get to work and just do all the little things. Right each and every day, and let's let the the future take care of itself.
0: Unbelievable. And you go from nodding your head, shaking your head, basically yes or no. You and your dad start to work on all the little details. And when do things start progressing, and what does that look like? Uh, How do you eventually go from only being able to move your head to the idea that maybe you can... Stand and walk across that stage to get your degree?
1: Yeah, the, the big breakthrough came uh, around the five week mark. So, well, first, at the five week mark, I've been able to, to move my arms. I have a little bit of sensation in my legs, but no movement in my legs. And that's the thing I've been praying and working so hard for is to move something in my legs. I want to walk again. I want to get my life back. Well, at this fifth week mark, I feel this new sensation in my left big toe. It's like this new tingling sensation i couldn't move it but i felt like i was on the verge of something special and so i with my dad we're excited about it i my doctor comes in i explain you know this new sensation and i could tell right away as i'm explaining it that he didn't really care and i was really cut off by that i thought he'd be really excited for me and then i beg him like well can you at least take my shoe and sock off and look at this left big toe and he refused he said No, Chris, you're experiencing a phantom feeling that you want to believe that you can feel something differently in your left big toe so badly. You actually tricked yourself into thinking it's real, but you made it up. And then the last thing he tells me before he walks out of the room is, Chris, you'll never move anything in your legs ever again. And just like that, all my hopes and dreams are just crushed. I'm devastated. My dad who was with me was just devastated as well and I'll never forget this moment of my dad he he's just her crying. I've never seen my dad cry before and he turns to me and he says, "Chris, do not let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do." And I look back at him, the tears in my eyes and say i never will. And I responded mm-hmm. with more hope and determination than before that I'm going to prove this doctor wrong and so I just keep upping my hours, doing more and more and just praying and working. Well then not even a week later on Thanksgiving morning of all mornings, I wiggled that exact left big toe. He said I would never move again. And I was so pumped. I was fired up. I was telling every nurse and therapist, you go find that doctor <laughs> <laughs> who I like to call Dr. Phantom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and bring Dr.
1: Phantom in here and tell him to phantom this as i wiggle my toe in his face um, but fortunately for him he was gone that day so it probably worked out for the best because i might have been too fired up so, yeah uh, might have said something i regretted but it, that toe wiggle it grew to be so much more i started to get strength back in my quads my hamstrings my calves even eventually able to stand up with some assistance so that was like a huge breakthrough that kind of opened the floodgates for my leg training and recovery and just was able to, to maximize that.
0: Chris, I watched a video of you this morning training in the gym and you were being helped by physio and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone put that much effort into working out and in one moment, I was just watching you walk and I was really blown away your effort, your intensity, your focus, your determination, and I'd love you to take me through what training was like. Because so many of us, when we think we want to do a workout, we go in and we work out, and we ask our muscles to do certain things, and it might get a little bit difficult. So you back off, or you you know you allow those signals from your body to control. Uh, what your mind is saying. And you clearly have gone beyond that to the point where no matter what your body is saying, your mind continues to drive your body forwards, even when the connection between your mind and body is different than the rest of us uh, who don't have a spinal cord injury. So I would love to understand more about what it's like to train. Like, What was it like reconnecting with your body? How And, and what were those moments like? What did you do in those moments to drive things forward so that you could train and exercise and develop capacity at the level that you're doing it. I've never, uh, and I've been around 200 Olympic athletes and I've been around world record holders and I've been in some crazy situations and I've rarely in my life been as inspired as I was this morning watching you train. It was incredible.
1: Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. You know, it really is a mental game. It. It's the focus that you have to have and the intention that you have to have with the most basics of movements is something that is exhausting, really. I get usually get more mentally fatigued now than I would get physically fatigued just because of the concentration that I have to bring to send those signals to that muscle and then to try to send um, signals that aren't even getting there, but to just be intentional about it and hopeful that... That eventually it will connect. Um, uh, but I kind of compare it to like, if you try turning on your TV, you're hitting the power button on your remote control and it's not working. Well, you know, you go and you see if it's plugged in, if the TV's not plugged in, you're not going to be able to turn that TV on. Like, that's just a matter of fact. That's what sometimes it feels like when I'm telling my body to, to move. It's like trying to turn a TV on. It's not plugged in. Um, it just can be really frustrating at times and just, um, controlling your emotions and just staying after it. Um, even if it's not cooperating. Um, so it just has taught me a lot of patience. It's forced me to be more patient because I have to be patient in order to get through my workouts and to um, be very intentional and, and really concentrate on every single movement and be very deliberate about it.
0: Very, uh, phenomenal. Take me through the walk across the stage. Yeah, so I mean, I set the goal when I got back to
1: college. That I want to walk across the stage at my college graduation, and you know, I didn't know how to do it. I was just at that point able to, you know, support myself a little bit, standing with the help of somebody else. I still needed a lot of help getting my legs to kick through and to walk, and it took several people to do so. Well, I just felt like if I can set this huge goal for myself that it would stretch me. And it forced me to train in a way that I've never trained before and just be accountable to that goal. And so I told everybody about this goal, um, you know, not in a an obnoxious way. But uh, when it came up, you know, like, hey, this is my goal. I'm working for it and just create a, a level of accountability of not letting people down. So I just kept training you know, on top of a school workload. And uh, eventually I meet uh, Emily, my, who is now my wife, but uh, we started dating and she started helping me with my training and uh, to prepare for this graduation walk. And my goal was to, you know, obviously get myself better, but I was hoping that it could inspire somebody else too, um, that it would give somebody else hope to to go for their dreams and goals. Well, when it comes to that graduation day, you know, I was so nervous. I mean, I've been training, you know, four and a half years for this moment It's kind of like a like Olympic athlete. I mean, Olympic athletes they they train you know four years for just one opportunity, and this is what how I felt at that point. And I was also nervous that people I was gonna get like booed off the stage, like I'm taking so long and being so slow to get across the stage that people are gonna be like angry as they're like it's a hot gym, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I gotta get across the stage as fast as I can. Hopefully, people don't get too upset. And then Emily stands me up. And I I began to take a step, and, like, the crowd, it just erupts in the gym. And I was so taken back by that. Um, But I'm trying to, like, you know, tone it out because, um, you know, as an athlete, you just got to be focused on what your task is and not the crowd and what's going on around you. But the noise is so loud, it's hard not to ignore uh, but the energy in the room just like lifted me up and just I just focused on just one step in front of the other. And I get to the end and I, I turn to face the crowd and everyone's standing, clapping, crying, just like grown men, just all just bawling their eyes out. And I was just uh, taken back that how emotional it was for other people. And it really opened my eyes to the opportunity that I had to give hope and inspiration to other people. Um, but it was just like a beautiful moment to share then. I also proposed to Emily the day before my graduation walk. And I was way more nervous for her proposal than the walk across the stage. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a great moment to share with her and then to, you know, show how hard work can pay off. And then that opportunity to also give hope to somebody else was really powerful.
0: That's cool. How did you meet Emily and how did that, that play out? Because obviously that's not going to be, um, well, that just, just must have been, a really cool experience to have someone like that drop into into your life.
1: Yeah, no, like absolutely. Uh, so we met like about three years after my injury. And uh, it was through like a mobile, um, like online source. And we just connected, had a conversation. And she started asking me just really personal questions. Just, hey, what was it like, you know, right after your injury to to get through those first weeks, you know, the questions that like people were really scared to ask and she just kind of went right for it. And it just allowed me to be comfortable in my own skin. And, uh, we just hit it off and, um, we eventually met up and, uh, had an instant connection. She wasn't staring at my legs, my chair, my hands. She was just looking at me and getting to know me for who I was. And, uh, the chair didn't seem to scare her. And, you know, that was something that I was worried about you know, with my injury. Like, will I ever meet a girl that would ever want to be with me? Will I ever find love? I always wanted to have a family and a, a wife. And is that going to be possible now in my new situation? My identity was completely wrapped up in being this strong, independent man that was like the protector and strength and uh, all those sort of things, a fixer. And now, you know, I have to depend on a lot of people and not as strong. And um, so I had a lot of insecurities about that, but she kind of just pushed that aside and um, just loved me for who I was and the person I was. And the, and we just, again, we hit it off and haven't looked back since.
0: Very cool. Uh, How long was it from the time that you uh, graduated from college and then actually got married?
1: So we graduated college in 2015 and then we uh, got married in April of 2018. So about three years.
0: Very cool. All right. And what happened in that intervening time between graduation and and actually getting getting married and, and taking that next step?
1: Yeah, well, uh, that's a good question because that kind of in the past has been kind of brushed over that time period a little bit. Uh, and the reason for that was Emily and I haven't been as public about it just because it wasn't the greatest of times for us. And actually, that's what we're going to be sharing in our upcoming book, The Seven Longest Yards. A lot about that time frame that the media or anybody else really knows about. Um, Because in that time period, um, you know, after the graduation walk, we went on all these national media things, international media um, Good Morning America, um, Fox and Friends and uh, countless other shows, you know, like we're on top of the world, we're engaged, everything's going to be this fairy tale ending. And then, you know, reality sunk in and Emily kind of went through a uh, kind of post-college depression and anxiety sunk in and our relationship just turned into turmoil and we were fighting and it was just not going well at all and she just was struggling through that she's like a really strong independent woman so the idea of asking for help or um being open to the fact that she's going through a depression was really hard on her Um, and so we had to um to kind of together just stick together even through we didn't want to even when we didn't feel like it it was tough and um but we, we stuck together and eventually she was able to you know she found God and she found help. She got on some medication and she began to be more vulnerable and open up about her challenges, which gave her then the strength uh, to heal from that and then to move forward to, to live her best life. Um, so that kind of took place in that time period. And also at the same time is when, uh, um, um, Emily, our our wedding walk, or not our wedding walk, sorry, our graduation walk went viral a second time. It had like 300 million views across the world. People were writing about how inspirational it was and gave them hope in their own situation and uh, that they needed this to keep fighting in their own life. And then Emily says, Chris, you have to walk me down the aisle of our wedding. And I'm not asking you to do it for me, but for all those people who need your example and just consider how many people are counting on you. And so it's that conversation that I realized that I have to walk her down the aisle and that we have to do it for everyone who's going to be watching, everyone who's struggling, who needs hope in their situation. And so I re-engaged my purpose to walk again and to walk her seven yards down the aisle, three yards further than the graduation walk, and seven yards marks seven years since my injury. And so that's when I began to train to walk her down the aisle. I'm going to do it side by side the same way that would be going through the rest of our lives together.
0: Amazing. And for the record, I I think it's incredible that you guys are talking about the challenge that Emily faced because it's so often not talked about. It's people, we stigmatize mental health challenges. We don't know how to deal with it. And as a result, people don't ask for help and we don't like, we don't like talking about it. And the analogy that that I use is, if you're depressed, we don't see it. If you have a broken arm, you do see it. And when people have broken arms, like, hey, how's the arm? Can I sign your cast? And when people are depressed, we don't ever mention it. And we hide it, and we're, we're embarrassed by it, and it's whispered about, which is the exact opposite thing of what actually needs to happen, which is for all of us to have an open, direct conversation about mental health and sometimes our mental health is amazing and we're happy and we're excited and we're everything's going great and other times we struggle and we're anxious and we're depressed and so the fact that you guys are opening up about that and sharing that with the world i think is you know equally as important as some of the other incredible uh, inspiration that you've been able to share with people
1: oh absolutely that's why um she has the strength to share those moments and those times because we understand that other people are facing this and it's hard to talk about. And maybe if we can talk about it and show how we were able to get through it, it might just be able to help someone else get through those tough times. So I think there is that stereotype too. I I fell into it. Actually, I was pretty naive because when Emily started to have these symptoms and these signs, I'm thinking there's no way she's depressed. Like, like, nothing bad has happened to her like there wasn't like any life-altering thing you know I went through this spinal cord injury I never went through a depression like there's she can't be depressed right and I was so oblivious I was so naive I, I laugh at you know how I at first handled that situation just how oblivious i was um but then i just kind of sort of educate myself and to dive into it and learn a little bit more about it and i just realized how wrong I was and exactly to your point is you got to treat it like you would treat a broken bone like a broken bone in your arm you gotta you gotta go see a doctor you gotta see someone to get help if you have mental health issues if you're struggling with depression you gotta go get help you have to treat it like you treat a broken bone and um i just didn't Realized that at the time. And um, so I wasn't, I'm not going to be the poster child for how to uh, care for someone who's going through depression, but I learned and I stuck by her side, uh, which was important. And uh, we were able to eventually get through it. And like you said, I hope it gives someone else a little bit of hope in their own situation that you don't have to have a life altering situation or like adversity to even get um, mental health either. You can have it all together, but still have a mental health issue.
0: Yeah. And you've also got the situation where you're getting 300 million people around the world seeing you walk across the stage and be inspired. And that probably makes people think, oh my gosh, he's got such this, everything's, you know, going really well for him. And wow, he's getting fame and notoriety, like all of these extrinsic things are happening. Yet while that's happening you're being celebrated. Emily's struggling like crazy at home. And I think that's a good mm-hmm. analogy for so much of what's going on right now as well, is that people are putting their their perfect Instagram shot up. Meanwhile, at home, they could be struggling like crazy. So that, in, that also is, I think, uh, an important takeaway from what you guys experienced.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, on Instagram, you're seeing hundreds of people's highlights. And then a lot of times those highlights are um, only a, a small percentage of the whole picture um, and that there's so much more going on. And uh, then it makes you even feel worse about yourself for feeling that about yourself, too, uh, because you, you look outward and you see everyone else seems like they have it together. And it's like, well, why don't I have it together and figure it out? Um, so, again, we hope to kind of put a kibosh on some of the stereotypes and um, really just be very vulnerable and real. And hopefully that will connect with a lot of people. Um, which makes us even more excited to, you know, share this book and uh, and get it out to people and um, hopefully they'll feel the same.
0: Yeah. Great. Good, good for you guys. I'm just like even more, you know, impressed now than I I was 40 minutes ago when we started chatting. Uh, You guys get married and just, you know, when I'm sure many of our listeners right now are thinking, wow, that's a pretty incredible story. What else could possibly, you know, how else could they take this to another level? And, you guys managed to do that again you're now helping children at scale Tell me about your family and what you guys are, are doing and, and how you guys have built a family because that also is like I've got two kids and I'm <laughs> like maxed so I can't I have any clue how you guys have managed to do you know what what you've done with your incredible family
1: yeah so Emily uh, and I are foster and adoptive parents. We have fostered a total of 17 children, and then we have adopted five girls. And we've had as many as seven um, kids in our care at one time, uh, which is a lot. And they were all girls, too, and we have a female dog. So I was so outnumbered. It wasn't even funny. Uh, But I'm still (laughs) still outnumbered, uh, the the five. But, yeah, so that really came out of um, Emily's passion. Uh, She started mentoring a girl named Whitley when Whitley was younger and uh, they connected, she got placed in the foster care system and it opened Emily's eyes to that world and what's kind of going on with, um, you know, kids with um, going through abuse or trauma, whatever it may be. And it just grew this passion in her heart to, to do more for that. And then while we were in Florida, uh, Whitley called Emily just needing a place to go. She she needed a home and uh, we felt like, if we didn't open our home for her and um, foster her, that you know, we only we assumed the worst. So we just knew we had to do something. Um, so we, we took her in, and um, that was an experience because Whitley is six and seven years younger than us. Um, so uh, parenting someone that close in age uh, has its challenges, but also has its fun moments too. Uh, I can remember one of the times that uh, she called it sick from high school. And so I went to, to go get her. And so I go into the nurse's office and I say I'm here to pick up Whitley. And she's like, looks at me. Sit, like she just like has this funny look on her face. And she's like, um, I'm sorry, but students aren't allowed to check another student out. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then Whitley chimes in like, oh no, that's my dad. And the look on her face was just like jaw dropping. Just like, what? Like, she just like, couldn't figure it out. Um but that like moments like that are are pretty fun. And um, we just, we just make the most out of it. And um, we get stopped all the time. Like when we're in public, we'll be like eating at a dinner, just minding our own business. And then someone will just pop into the middle of our table. Be like, are these your kids? Like, do you have all of these kids? And they're like, yeah, like they are kids. Like bug off. Like, come on. Like, why is it such a big deal? I don't know. It's just, there's a way to go about it. I mean, I don't, we don't mind if people are, like, are curious, but like to stop us in the middle of our dinner and just be like, kind of interruptive and, and say in a way that's like, what are you thinking? Are you insane? Is that uh, not the best way to go about it, but um, we'll, we're more than happy to have that conversation in the appropriate manner. But yeah, we have those moments too. Uh,
0: I like, I, I am like reading your bio here and I'm blown away. I probably wouldn't interrupt you at dinner, but I'm amazed that like, I've got one daughter who's nine years old and under, you've got four. And so I'm a dude, I'm impressed. Way to go. Congratulations. Uh, I'm fired up and really, really pleased for you. What is the next walk? Like, what is the next thing that you're working towards? What's the vision? What's the dream? What are you got? Where, where are, are you and your family going, uh, now with all of this?
1: You know, right now, I mean, we're really excited to be parents and to step into that world because we just, we legally adopted Whitley back in December of 2018 and then legally adopted our four girls, four other girls who are siblings. And they are um, all under the age of nine, um, back in February of 2019. Um, so we're pretty fresh parents. And so we're just excited to, to be their parents and kind of go through that parenthood. But, um, Looking forward, there's no like physical goal that I have at this point. You know, I want to keep exercising, keep getting strong. I want to be more independent. I want to be able to drive uh, my vehicle. So I'm working on that. Uh, but I'm really passionate and inspired to just offer hope to give light where there's darkness for other people and let people know that they matter and that they can get through their challenges and that you can even use your challenges as strengths later on if you just keep going even if you don't know where you're going Um, so that's really where my passion comes in and where i'm looking towards the future Um, so we have this book the seven longest yards coming out and that will be available everywhere that books are sold and we're excited that tim tebow wrote the forward for that and then we also have a documentary film called the seven yards the chris norton story that we're hoping will um, inspire and change a lot of lives as well so we're working on the distribution for that. So we don't know when the release is at the time of this recording, but um, we're pretty hopeful that it's going to be reaching a lot of people. So, and then also through my motivational speaking, I travel uh, the world, um, giving keynote presentations, opening, closing conferences, um, sharing how you can empower and give strength to others. And uh, that's really where my focus is right now is just to change lives.
0: Good for you. And tell me a little bit about your foundation and the concept of of taking a stand and anyone can make a stand. I love that idea and concept and what you're trying to do with that.
1: Yeah. So I started the Chris Norton Foundation uh, back when I was in college, uh, just because I realized that uh, there's so many people going through the same situation that I was. They weren't as fortunate to have the same recovery and care that I've had uh, because I was a student athlete at an A school. So because um, I had this A catastrophic insurance policy insurance policy that's covered all my medical and rehab bills um, that most people don't have that same kind of access. And so we started the Chris Oren Foundation to give grants to rehab facilities so that other people can hopefully stand up and to receive the therapy and recovery that I've had, and that will help them in their journey. And then on top of that, uh, we're starting a kids wheelchair camp for their kids and families that are in shares this summer, uh, June 2019 is the camp we have a full camp Uh, they're going to do zip lining archery horseback riding sports and a bunch of other activities but just to get together a group of people and just to lift them up and encourage them and empower them that they can do anything that they set their minds to and uh, just keep fighting that your life's not over just because you're in a chair and so that's where the kind of power to stand to stand up um, comes from
0: chris uh, this is one of the most inspirational hours I've ever had in my life. I am so honored and privileged to have spent some time with you, uh, virtually over this incredible thing called the internet, which gets a lot of bad, uh, you know, rep these days, but this is a magical moment for me. So thanks for taking the time. How can people connect with you and follow your journey online?
1: Yeah. You know, my website is chrisnorton.org. That's a a great way to learn about me and all the things that I'm doing with like speaking, the foundation book and film, and then also I'm pretty plugged in with Instagram and Facebook, so you can follow me at Chris A Norton 16. Um, if you or you just type in Chris Norton, I should probably pop up. But yeah, stay connected with me. I love to um, get connected with your group, and also too, um, I'm also giving away the first two chapters of our newest book, The Seven Longest Yards. And if people want to get those two chapters, All they have to do is just text the message seven yards to the number 44222, and they can get the first two chapters. Again, just text the the message seven yards to the number 44222, and that can be the digit seven or even the spoken, the, the written out seven.
0: Perfect. I'm sure a lot of people will take you up on that. Chris, thanks for taking the time, buddy. I really appreciate it.
1: Yep. Thank you. Take care.
0: How was that? A little bit different, right? Chris is incredible what, uh, just blown away. I get to have these conversations. It's mind boggling, but, uh, I really love the fact that I can share that and, uh, hope that it contributed to your growth and knowledge and awareness of, of everything as well. So if you enjoyed that, please share it. Uh, if you want to connect with Chris, do so online, follow his journey and, uh, just be inspired obviously by everything that he and Emily are doing pretty awesome stuff. If this resonated with you and you can leave a review on iTunes, I would be infinitely grateful if you can subscribe on iTunes and other podcast platforms that also helps us out tremendously. And if you have any comments or thoughts on the show and you want to share them with me on Twitter, that would be great. I'm at Dr. Greg Wells on all of the socials. Thanks so much for listening and we really appreciate you being part of our community and we will talk to you again really, really soon.